If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to the book of 1 Peter. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, it is towards the end of the entire book, the entire Bible, about six books back from the end. So it's Revelation and Judas before that, and then you have the three books of John, and then you have two books of Peter. So it's 1 Peter chapter 1. Because here's what's been going on in the life of our church to catch you up to speed, whether you've been out for a little bit or you're a first-time guest. So we started with a sermon series on Jesus in his own words. Because as we start as a new church, we need to hear from Jesus. It's all about him. If he hasn't spoken, if he's not the Lord and Savior, none of this matters. So we want to hear from him. We want to hear from his own words. So we looked at a few of his crucial teachings of course all the bible is is vital but um but those those statements that stand out like i am the light of the world what did jesus mean by that we found out it means a whole lot more than just uh, when you flick on the light to, to walk into a room you see things a little bit better oh no jesus says i'm the light of the world everyone sees the truth because i am the truth it's a very arrogant statement to make unless you are, in fact, the son of God who has come into the world. So we worship him. We fall at his feet. And, and I know you all enjoyed that study with me. And now we turn. We're still in the words of Jesus. We're still in the word of God. But now we want to see if Jesus is our highest priority and making disciples, worshipers of Jesus who go throughout the world and spread his joy to those who are in darkness, then there's a step in between Jesus and mission. He didn't call his followers to now go out throughout the world, find a cave somewhere, live by yourself, maybe reach a couple people around that cave. We see in the New Testament, actually, as believers come to faith in Jesus Christ, they come together into gatherings, into local assemblies called what? Church. Church. I mean, assembly, people of God who love Jesus with their whole hearts, who want to sing his praise, want to worship him together, want to hear from his word. And Jesus says, this is my church. I am the shepherd and the shepherd brings his sheep together. So we want to understand more about why does Jesus have such a heart and affection for his people? And why should we? Why do we prioritize hearing the word of God? Why do we prioritize loving others who also follow Jesus? And why has God called us to plant Living Hope Church in North Sarasota? There's other churches around. You could just go to one of those churches. Why Living Hope Church? In order to understand who we are, we need to understand who we belong to, who he's called us to be. So let's turn to 1 Peter together. Let's unpack the identity of the church. It's going to take us a few weeks, more than a few weeks. I, I wish I could give a full, in-depth look at the entire book of 1 Peter. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm taking us through our three core values as a church leading up to New Year's Day. We've looked at Jesus. First and foremost, you have to start with him. And every message, I guarantee you, from here on out, Jesus will be at the center. We, we love Jesus. He has changed our lives. Also, a second core value is the community, the community of believers, the church, those who are loved and love one another. And our third core value is what we looked at last week, the Great Commission. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations because of what Jesus has done for us. 
So we're starting our series now on community to look at these believers. So let's start with chapter one, verses one through two. This is an introduction. I hope uh, you have a handout here for the sermon. If you did not get one of those, uh, maybe can can look around and, and Lacey or Alexis could, could help you track one of those down. I know they have a few of those uh, handy right there. They'll help you follow along with where we are. But let me read from the text here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the author, one of Jesus' closest followers. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is an introduction to the letter. This isn't our main text for today, but we have to understand it because this is a theme of, of the entire epistle, the letter from Peter to the churches. So Peter is the author, as, as that is clear. So this is the Peter who followed Jesus closely. There's no reason to doubt that this is that same Peter. He writes with the authority of an apostle, one of Jesus's original 12 that Jesus set his authority on. And he said, through you, the church will come into being because you're preaching my gospel. You're my witnesses to the whole earth, and it's my spirit that clothes you with power and strength from on high for this message. So it's Peter, the human author, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is the author as well. And who's he writing to? The elect exiles that, that were dispersion has a historical context because we have a historical faith. So these were... Uh, individual believers originally in Jerusalem who were kicked out of Jerusalem were persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And God worked sovereignly through that to spread the gospel around the known world. But it was, it was a specific time and place in history. The dispersion, also you'll know that, that later, around 70 AD, the Jews were, as a people group, um, really ganged up on by the Romans. And so the temple was, was raised and destroyed and the Jews were kicked out. But, but Peter is writing to Christians and he's borrowing that term dispersion because most likely these are believers who were kicked out of their homes in Rome, persecuted by the Roman government. And now they're spread all throughout an area, a region called Asia Minor. Asia Minor is actually a very large area about the size of the state of California. They're not home anymore. They're spread out. They're scattered. They're disoriented. They're marginalized by society. They're even persecuted. And yet he calls them elect exiles. Elect. You all were chosen by God the Father. You were loved. You were adopted into God's family. You're not forgotten. You might be scattered. You might be homeless right now or trying to find a new career or trying to start over. But God has not left your side. You are his beloved. You are his You're the apple of his eye. You're also exiles. We understand our home is not in this world. The United States of America is not our final resting place. If you are a child of God, your home is with him. Where he is, is where we're going to be for all of eternity. And right now he's preparing a place for his people and he will bring heaven to the new earth one day. 
and we will see it with our eyes. He will keep his promises. So right now we have to remember this is not our permanent home. You're not going to find heaven on your phone's map app. Okay, this is a spiritual reality that a believer understands by faith. We hold it true on the inside, even if the world looks at us, oh, you're crazy. Jesus isn't coming back. He hasn't come back for 2,000 years. They do not have the faith. They do not see the kingdom of heaven as we see it. But we understand the kingdom is a reality. It's where Jesus reigns. And the church is where we live out the kingdom values of Jesus together. We're an outpost. We're, we're people caught in between two worlds, heaven and earth. Heaven's in our hearts. Heaven is our hope. We long to see Jesus, but we're here. We're here for a reason. That's not a mistake. So we represent Jesus to those around us. The only way they're going to see the kingdom, they're going to see the love that God has for them is if we shine that love to them. So that is the introduction here to the letter. And our main point from the text this morning from verses three through nine, which I'll read in just a moment here, is the church finds her hope in God even in the difficult times. Or to shorten it, who are we? We are hope-filled children. Let's read verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. First of all, we see that the church, we owe our lives to God. He has given us life. Verse three tells us, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. So a church is not someone who comes and, and sits or maybe fills out a membership card, although that is something that we're praying through and working on to have a, a membership covenant where we agree, hey, we are going to be a church together. I think it's an important step in the life of a church. And that will be something that we will uh, uh, disciple the flock in. We'll have membership classes and we'll give an opportunity for people to really get to know our church even on a deeper level. The membership does not make you a child of God being born again, being born into God's family. That is everything. That is your identity. I don't find my identity in Living Hope Church as much as I love you all and I love this church. I don't find my identity in being a pastor. I am first and foremost a child of God. I am loved by God, so loved 
that even before I knew I was a sinner, even before I knew I was a rebel against God, he had already sent his one and only son to offer up his life, his blood, his comfort, his all to bring me into God's family. Because you and I, the reality is that we were born rebels. We're not born into God's family. We did not love him. We did not even know him. <laughs> right? Is any of us born knowing God? Even if you told me, I grew up a Christian because I grew up in church. No, there, there has to be a point where you are introduced to the loving Father through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the work that he has done, and you receive him by faith, and then you're connected to the Father through the Holy Spirit. There has to be a point in time where that light bulb moment occurs. None of us are born into God's family with a human birth. In fact, that term born again, it actually means or emphasizes re-begetting or begetting anew. So, it, it, you know, we, we might think of it as, oh, a new birth. It is. But more closely to the definition of that term is you were reborn. We've all been born once. Everyone on this earth has been born one time. That's why they're alive. That's why they're living and breathing. Someone, a mother, gave birth to that child. And that child is alive. Praise God. We hear a little one right now. Every life has value whether they're a child of God or not. They're made in the image of God. But there's a problem because we're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a broken relationship with God. He's not our father. There's not that intimacy. In fact, we want to build our own kingdoms. We want to have our own way. It's not about the father. It's not about his plan. It's not about our relationship with him. It's about me and what I can build. And it's about what I can do with my life. That's the human race. Ephesians 2.1 says it this way. We were dead in our sins spiritually. Breathing, yes. Got a pulse, yes. But spiritually, our soul, dead on arrival. Because we don't have God. He is life. He is joy. He is love. So here's what this text is saying. God produces life. Tom Schreiner says... His seed that he plants in someone's heart to bring new life, it comes through his word. It comes through his spirit working in us and opening our eyes to the truth. You know what part of that you and I play a part in? None of it. I, I didn't open my own eyes, say, oh, now I'm going to believe in God. Or, oh, I read this verse and it makes sense now. God allowed it to make sense to us. He's a loving father. He turned the light on for us. He reached out to us. He sent a savior before I even knew I needed one and raised him from the dead. And he offers us new life. So what I am responsible for is my response. When the father reveals himself, when he shows the truth of who Jesus is, Faith is essential for salvation. No, no one gets saved apart from faith. That response, the child who comes home, says, God, I accept you as my father. Jesus, I accept you as my savior. I need you. I repent of my sins. 
God does the work. He's the renovator. We respond in faith and worship. The life of a child of God. But I owe everything to him. My life I owe to him. I, I worship him. I want to bring him glory in all things. So if God gets all the glory from salvation, Ephesians 2 makes it clear, my works, my goodness, the good things I attempt, even if it's religious, ritual, churchy things, even if it's something like baptism, some theological traditions teach that baptism regenerates. Baptism makes you alive. Scripture says God makes you alive when you receive the gospel by faith. So conversion, I'm converting, I'm turning from my sin, repenting, I'm turning to God. Regeneration is God putting his spirit in me and giving me new life. There's, there's life now. I have a pulse spiritually. Thank you, God. So it doesn't matter who your earthly father is. It doesn't matter what your theological tradition was growing up. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, you don't have a relationship with the father. Jesus said in John 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you are a child of God this morning, doesn't it just amaze you how much you are loved by the Father? What did you do to deserve that love? If anything, I sinned so much, I would understand if he never loved me, if he never pursued me, if he would have never sent his one and only precious son to die for my sins. But what kind of love has the Father for us? So church, how do we respond? If this is our identity, we're children of God. How do we respond to Jesus and respond to the Father and respond to the Spirit? Well, first of all, I think gratitude is in order. We give thanks. Do we have complaining spirits, complaining hearts? Do we see the, 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 uh, the downside of everything? Or do we see, wow, I was given a new life. I was given a new hope and a future. God has given me everything. I'm grateful. I come into worship singing. Maybe not out loud. Okay? And some of you, you're not singers. You own up to it. That's okay. I'm hardly a singer as well. I appreciate y'all singing along with me. But there's joy in our heart. There's gratitude. We also prioritize coming together for worship. You worship during the week in your car listening to music or meditating on the word. You worship in your personal Bible study and prayer, but we worship together because the children of God come together as a family to show people you'll never believe what our father's done for us. But I would tell you anyways, because you've got to know. Do we share the gospel? Do we really believe that what God has done is a miraculous work of new life? And we share that truth. And we also make disciples. If we're children of God, if we were born again, you can look back there and you see our six-month-old. He's awesome. I love him. But 20 years from now, if he's still that same shape and size and still needs to be fed milk and baby food, something's wrong. That's, I mean, he's cute. He's adorable. But, but he needs to grow. So child of God, where do you need to grow? And do you see... This is the family of God. I'm called to help others grow in their faith, to go deeper in the gospel, to understand how it affects things like our time, 
our, our treasure, our wallet? Uh, how does it affect the way I interact with my family? Do I put on a good face here and a smile and everything? But when I go home, I'm a different person. Maturity is allowing the gospel to affect and saturate all of our earthly relationships. I love others because I love God. So many different ways that we could respond, but we owe our lives to God. That is clear. Secondly, we have hope for the future and for today. Look at verses four and five. Found it myself here. To an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. But we're also, verse 5, being guarded through faith and by God's power right now. So it's future, but it's today. It's the already and it's the not yet. We know that we have eternal life because Jesus has promised it. He told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, I've already told you this. Do you trust me yet? Do you trust that your hope, your future is tightly held with me. I'm not letting you go. So when you screw up later this week, and you will, and I will too, probably not even later this week, it'll probably be this afternoon. When I screw up, the Father's not gonna let me go even then. As sure as the eternal uh, uh, citizenship is secure, so I'm securing him even today. The Holy Spirit of God is our down payment, is our guarantee that we will inherit all, all that God has prepared for us in the future. And when you look at that term, living hope, which is all over, all over here is our church. When you look at the living hope, what does living mean? It, it means real, authentic. This is not just a hope like, well, I hope this all works out. I hope Jesus was telling the truth because man, I don't know. I hope he comes back, but I'm not, I'm not waiting on it. I'm not expecting it. That's not the hope Peter's talking about. This, this, this term, authentic, you look, we're looking in the same way at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did he rise from the dead? Yes, the tomb is empty. It's a historical reality. And Jesus ascended to heaven. The disciples saw it. And Jesus says, I'm coming back the same way. It's not just spiritual. Spiritual will invade physical. Just like God has already done in our hearts. We are the living body of Jesus Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. Which means that God's people are a precious gift. You think God would waste his time guarding us? If, if you didn't think so? Think about Fort Knox and all the money that's stored there. The gold and the bullion and, and the bars and the, the security measures and the armored trucks and, and the military presence. Our nation takes care of its resources. Sometimes. <laughs> that's another discussion. They take care of the resources. So what's God's most valuable resource? Who did he put his Holy Spirit on to guard? us he loves us he's not in buildings made with human hands he's in a building made with his own hands and he's guarding us for that day so if we are his treasure 
his prized possession, who he's guarding. How well do we guard this flock right here? Does it matter to us if somebody is struggling? Whether it's with their faith, questions, doubts, fears, some of their needs aren't being met. That's fine, they'll figure it out. Or, or maybe we just keep the conversation surface level. We're kind of afraid to ask how they're really doing. And maybe you're afraid to share how you're really doing. But can this be a safe place where we pursue Jesus together? We realize we're not there yet. We're not perfect yet. We all have issues. We all need grace. So we don't yell at each other. We don't fight. I, I asked Chris to read that passage because it talks about being firm in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. But also, did you notice there's two ladies in the church that are not agreeing together? And it's a public dispute. Paul heard about it from ways away. Word got out to him. Conflict's going to happen. But if we trust that God's got us, he's guarding us. He will guard the unity of this church as we seek his face and we pray. And we also say, hey, let's protect the unity of this church. Let's love one another. Let's care for one another. This is God's prized possession, his people, his children. And the stronger we come together, the deeper we go in relationships with one another, the brighter we shine for the world. That's why you can't skip over community to go to mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. But wait in Jerusalem till my spirit comes. And you see the believers coming together in the upper room, praying together, being together, devoted to the word together. And when they're together, the Pentecost happens. Well, the birth of the church happens at the time of Pentecost. This is what God is doing. When his people are together, worshiping, discipling, evangelizing, the church is born, the church is formed. By God's grace, I pray God will work through this church. So only just a couple years from now, Lord willing, we would be able to send out a group of people to plant another church, either somewhere in this community, maybe a little bit further in Florida, wherever there's a need. But that's only going to happen if we as a church are unified in our love for God and we're committed to his mission. And out of the strength of this flock, we say, hey, we're willing to say goodbye to this family and these two people. We love them. We want them to stay, but we know we need to send them out so someone else can meet Jesus that we're never going to reach. It's not going to happen if we're divided. It's not going to happen if we're not committed to loving one another. We have hope for the future and for today. And that hope is in the gospel. Third and finally, tested faith is precious in the Father's sight. Verses six through nine paint a slightly different picture than the previous verses, right? There is a, a, an inheritance kept for us that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. Oh, awesome. I can't wait to see what God has prepared for us. And you rejoice, but for a little while, it's necessary that you are grieved. You have been grieved by various trials. We have to acknowledge something here this morning. We are not heaven. This church is not heaven. You are not heaven. I'm not heaven. We're not there yet. 
And we all have struggles and trials and burdens that we're going through in this life. Don't you wish it was easier sometimes? Why do I have to be tested so much? Why are there people in my family that aren't coming to Jesus and, and, and it, it's, it's such a burden on my heart? Or, or what? why did I get in that accident? Now i got to fork out all this money because the, the person didn't stick around and my insurance is not going to cover. Why did this hurricane happen? Why do trials and burdens happen? He says it's necessary. Why? Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I skip that one important phrase. How we respond in our trials is more precious than gold to our Heavenly Father. So when we are tested, and we face a lot of the same tests that an unbeliever will, will face, financial hardship, physical diseases or sickness, cancer, lost a loved one, Lost, lost someone close to you, friendships that are broken, churches that hurt you or turned their back on you or forced you out or whatever the case may be. What, we're facing a lot of the trials that are common to other people. But the children of God respond with faith. We, we're battered, discouraged. We struggle, we worry, we stress. Philippians 4, don't be anxious. We tend towards anxiety. But when we're tested, we remember that we have a Father in heaven who has not forgotten about us. He's not thrown us away. He's not trying to make our life a bear. He's testing us to sharpen us, to purify us like gold in a fire so that we shine brightly for him. And children of God have joy through the trial. We rejoice because we know that Jesus also suffered on our behalf. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, there's no empty grave. So we daily die to ourselves. We find our own grave. Lord, I confess my pride. Lord, I confess my my dependence on money instead of you. Lord, I, I, I confess my worries and my fears. I give them to you. We die to self so we can live to God. We show the gospel. That's why trials come. That's why burdens exist in our daily lives. And it would be emotionally immature of us to say, oh, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. Anything we can pray for you about? No, nope, I'm good. It's like the number one response we get when we're out in the community trying to share the gospel. You ask somebody, how can I pray for you? Or what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. No problems. There are problems. Maybe they just don't trust us enough. We got to build up that rapport. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not making fun of them. I do it too. Sometimes it's just easier to say things are going well. So the conversation moves forward. You don't have to talk about it. But beloved, if we keep doing that, we don't acknowledge there are problems. There are marital difficulties. I'm not on the same page with my loved one. Or I have not picked up my Bible in a month and I need someone to kick me a little bit and get alongside me and grab coffee with me and help me get back in the Word and in prayer. If we don't open our lives to that, then we stay immature. When we respond, we acknowledge this is a trial. 
Peter's writing this epistle because he heard of the trial that the Christians were going through. What if all of the exiles never opened their mouths, never said, we're discouraged because we got kicked out of our homes. We're disoriented. You and I would not have the beautiful epistle that is 1 Peter. When we open our lives to grace, grace comes. So we must acknowledge it. On the other hand, you have to be careful not to play the victim card to try to gain sympathy from people. Anyone ever been guilty of that? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> How are things going? Oh, let me tell you this, and let me tell you this, and let me tell you this. We're not actually looking for help. We just want to dump our burden on somebody else. So now they're weighed down and we feel better. That is also an immature response. I see it on social media all the time, though. Where people are supposed to be spiritually mature. But please, let me talk about how the haters are out to get me. And Oh, no, no, no. We don't need to do that. Run to the Father when you have complaints like that. But we need to acknowledge we are tested. We have trials. They are various kinds. The trials that you're going through are not what I'm going through. Not usually. Someone in the, in the flock has gone through the valley of the shadow of death recently. Someone else lost their job. Someone got called into a work meeting that was not so good. Children in children's church are asking, hey, when, when's there going to be more kids here? And they're praying and they're looking for more kids. We all have different things. We're struggling with different feelings. But the same God, the same Father knows us all, knows our needs. Just like my wife and I know our four kids are very different people. And they all have different needs. One wants you to spend every second with him so he can talk and tell you about his day and do stuff with. Another one wants to snuggle. Another one wants you to, to read. Another one wants you to change his diaper and then love him and feed him. Okay, we're still working on his personality. He's, he's still little, but everyone has different ways of responding and different needs and different personalities, but the Father knows all. So where do you need to be reminded of the hope that you have in Jesus today? What are you going through even right now? If you can't think of anything, be prepared because the week is still young. And we need to be reminded to be ready when we are tested because we will be tested. Will our faith stay rooted in the gospel, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And if so, I've got good news for you. Nothing is going to shake us. Nothing is going to take us out of the Father's hand. Nothing is going to absolutely devastate us. God will meet even our basic needs. Food, water, a place to live, because he cares and he knows. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a scorpion, because your Heavenly Father knows, he loves you, and he cares. Now, as we, as we talk about the church, how does this affect how we are as a church? Alexis is in student ministry. She works with the Young Life. She works with students all the time. We, we don't have teenage students in our church yet. So I want us all to be ready. What would this look like when, Lord willing, soon, God brings students into this church? Do we just treat them like an adult? You know, just come in, find a seat, maybe get some coffee. Or do we recognize they're going through a season of life that's very different from mine. It's going to need some more intentional care and prayer 
intentional mentoring. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're not specifically the one person to do that, but we as a church need to be looking at that because studies have been done. And recently a study that was done by Lifeway Student Ministry, and they wrote a book on it, uh, compiling the research called Within Reach. It's about students who walk away from the church after they graduate high school. 66% of students surveyed at that time that were once active in the church during their high school years drop out and they fall away from their walk with the Lord after graduation. 66%. By God's grace, a number of them find their way back over life, but it's usually with some regrets, some mistakes, and some wasted years, some brokenness, some consequences. But Here's the, some of the top 10 reasons why one out of three students stick around after graduation. Here's some of the difference makers. Number one, adults investing in them between the ages of 15 and 18. Adults investing in them outside of their family. Brothers and sisters in the church that say, we care about you. Why don't you come on over to our house for, for dinner? Or, you know, we're, we're going to the beach. Or we're going to a theme park. You know, you want to you hang out? Or can we do anything for your family? You, you make sure that you are impacting their lives. You invest in them. Because when you invest in them and show you that you, that you care, they're not just a name or a, a number. Huh. I guess people will stick around for that. Interesting. Right? Here's another reason. Or I, I guess two kind of go together. Regularly reading their Bible and understanding how the Bible affects every part of their lives. You know, when I started to regularly read my Bible, it's because I had mentors pouring into me that showed me this is how you read the Bible. This is what this passage means. This is what scripture has done in my life. And I'd love to see that happen in you. And, and you stay on them. And he, have you read your Bible today? Have you read your Bible today? Here's a verse. They'll, yes, there's personal responsibility, but there's adult investment in their lives. Number four, people genuinely care for them. We genuinely care if they're, they're doing well and growing in Jesus. People care if they come to church or not. That's why we try to follow up with every guest that comes to our church. We follow up with them. Can we do anything for you? Can we pray for you? You matter. We're so thankful that you came. We care. And I know that they'll sense that the, the second you, they walk into the room. You guys love so well. Number six, parents who care about the church and come to church with their student. They don't drop them off at the door and then go do those errands. Parents who recognize I need to grow as a child of God, just like my students do. And they set that example of humility for them. Those are just some of the reasons that, that students stick around. And I think if we're honest, I think that's a lot of the reasons that adults stick around too. They're cared for and loved. So as we conclude our passage, as we conclude our study today, who is the church? We're hope-filled children, but it gets hard because our faith is tested, because trials come. So as we think on these matters, as we conclude our study, we go back to the gospel and where it began. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? Is he your living hope? Have you been born again? That's not just a Baptist thing. Although so one of my neighbors, 
who was raised Catholic. He, he thinks that's a Baptist thing, you know, like you're born. No, it's a Jesus thing. Jesus said, you must be born again. Have you been born again? Is God your father? Has he given you new life? And if you have, then today, what, where did you need reminding of the hope that we have in Christ? The living hope, the real hope. Is there a part of your life that you've just given up on? A relationship that you've given up on? You're going to stop sharing the gospel with that person because they just resist you every single time. As long as there's today, there's grace and there's hope. Persevere. We have brothers and sisters all around the world who are struggling with struggles today. Are we praying for one another? Are we helping one another? Are we diving deeper into a relationship with God? And are we staying joyful? Life is short, but it's also long sometimes. What do they say? The years pass quickly, but the days move slowly. The joy, that's a tough one. Rejoice always. If Jesus is our hope today, we rejoice today. And let's leave with that.